analysis, they do a bunch of data analytics on blockchain data. They make sense of transaction flows. They work with governments, law enforcement. They sell the ability to monitor wallets and they collaborate with authorities. They're a controversial group in crypto because they do put out a lot of really interesting information. But instead of this idea that that big brother's always watching i always kind of just tell myself a chain analysis is always watching so there's they are monitoring every transaction on all the different chains they monitor the bridges and they monitor secret network they monitor what data is available to monitor those those different networks and so they are providing a data harvesting service of all of the different public data points that are out there. And they put out this report. Now it's actually a preview to their 2022 crypto crime report. And it was an interesting read, I think because you start to learn a little bit about how they make their money at chain analysis. And they bring up these different examples, a ton of different data points that we can quote here on high level takeaways, a lot of great charts, but you'll notice throughout the the little posts, they will have links to different services and explain how somebody reading it might be interested in paying for some of their services. One of which is a DeFi monitoring tool. So they, if you're a DeFi protocol provider, you can pay them to monitor certain wallets that are known scam wallets. If you want to be up in the latest and greatest in preventing blacklisted wallets from coming into your permissionless network, you can pay them to help you do that. They do a bunch of stuff with law enforcement too. I don't mean to just sit here and show chain analysis, but I do, I'm sorry, chain, chain analysis, chain analysis. I can never say it right, but they have, it's an interesting startup to me and they're well-funded and they're not going anywhere. They're not going away anytime soon. So we just have to accept that this the state is getting monitored and, and harvested. Yeah. There's, yeah. And I mean, I'll just comment real quick before I put it in front of you for your takeaways. But this one bullet point I thought was really interesting. And they put this in the beginning that money laundering accounted for just 0.05% of all cryptocurrency transaction volume in 2021. And they cite the numbers not to minimize cryptocurrencies, crime-related issues, but rather to point out that money, money laundering is a plague on virtually all forms of economic value transfer and to help the public understand just how much money laundering activity could theoretically move to crypto as adoption of the tech increases. So when you hear these narratives out there in the media that money launderers are the main people using crypto, it's obviously not, not true. But they, there's caveats there, of course, because we don't know every single wallet, what they're mm -hmm. up to. This is just known wallet activity, but all in all, still pretty low numbers. And there's, there's more I have to say on that, but I wanted to put this in front of you for a moment to, to hear what you were thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. So it looked like the uh, total value of like all in scams or the whole, the value of money laundered went up a little bit this year, eight and a half billion compared to six and a half last year. But uh, you dig down into some of the notes, maybe actually this was a hyperlinked, but it looks like there were fewer individual scam victims last year, 10 million in 2020 versus only 4 million last year, but there's a higher amount. So you're 
really looking at higher uh, amounts scammed per person. Uh, but the average lifespan of a scam is getting shorter and you're seeing what else? Uh, the end. Yeah, actually, they're, they're seeing some evidence of this longstanding relationship between asset prices and scamming activity. Activity kind of is like leveling off. I, again, maybe not by the value, but I kind of came away with this thinking, oh, like this problem isn't solved. It's still an issue and it probably always will be considering the fact, by the way, that it's estimated one to two trillion dollars, aka 5% of global GDP is laundered every year. And that's just like the old fashioned way. Uh, yeah, you, you 0.5%, I think you said, or 0.05% looks pretty good by comparison. So I guess all of that is to say, yeah, this is a problem. And I'm glad that there are tools like Chainalysis. Oh boy, I can't even say that either. See? <laughs> I'm looking right at it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's because all this, uh, the transactions are public facing. It makes sense that you could see, you could like watch the the thief and you could watch where they go. And, uh, but uh, no, so I guess, I, I mean, it seems like it's, it's, in good shape. Like it's it, like the, the cops in this case, they have the tools to see these bad actors and they're, they're, it seems like they're effective at deterrence or catching them. Um, so I don't yeah. know. I can wait well, with a slight positive feeling. A couple of things. First is the data that they talk about. It's crypto native crime that they're mm-hmm. talking about the funds that are being derived from. So this is dark web markets and ransomware attacks. So the the money laundering numbers that they're talking about here are crimes committed that are native to the crypto space. You know, so we talk about scams, we talk about sales of illicit markets and ransomware income. This is not even really accounting for if, if you're a drug dealer and you take your cash and you work with a broker on the street who is going to, you give them the cash and they send you Bitcoin or whatever, whatever coins you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So like these numbers are a little misleading, but it's, it's nuanced. It's hard to understand because you, for those ransomware wallets and the dark net market sales, those wallets, we know the addresses of those chain of Chainalysis knows the wallet addresses. So that's why they can monitor it and say, hey, like this is how much they're processing. But there's an example in the article. It's a pretty long read. It's a it's a preview to their their full report. They talk about an example of working with law enforcement in the UK in which they had seized a phone from a dealer on the street who in this WhatsApp thread they discovered that they were using BTC to exchanging cash for BTC. And yeah. so without these, without these seized conversations, they would never have known the wallet addresses mm-hmm. because they had to find it somewhere. Yeah. So that's kind of a takeaway is that we only have visibility into so much of this on the blockchain until we have something in the physical world or emails, or, you know, if law enforcement seizes some kind of evidence until that point, we don't actually know the the total number. But if we can estimate that it's around 0.05% on this data, maybe, I mean, that's a lot of money already. So um, mm-hmm. 
there's probably the number, the real number is probably a little higher, but still you can't, uh, without a physical person that to hand off the cash to, you can't have a way really of laundering the money, right? You, you need somehow, you have to have some intermediary party that you give your, your drug money to who is then going to go and buy Bitcoin somehow or yeah. some other crypto even. Right. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know really what, what I'm trying to say, but it's, it's tough to, to evaluate. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So, uh, one more thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, it was interesting that it seems like DeFi protocols uh, grew exponentially in terms of their use to layer all of these illicit funds, but exchanges are still the favorite tool because when you money launder, you have to, one of the tricks is to layer the money, just transact, 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 just create so many transactions that it becomes almost impossible to track, or it would take so long to track that you just lose by then the money would already be withdrawn. So, um, yeah, with the explosion by protocols, um, I guess it kind of makes sense that they would be utilized more. Yeah, it's the bridging. It's all these bridges that exist now where you can you can go from Ethereum to BSC to Binance Chain and, and all these different bridges. And so you can move a lot more easily now between chains and mix and match and do a bunch of crazy stuff in the decentralized version where before you had to really depend on centralized exchanges. So it is really cool to read about. I'm looking forward to their full report because I just think like this is fascinating to, to read about and, and see what, what's going on out there. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are, these are problems. I think we can all agree on that, but what's mm-hmm. for you for, you know, we've been talking about this for a minute. So what was the, what was it that you were bringing up today? Oh, uh, my update is on a little bit of a story that's brewing uh, over Diem, a.k.a. Libra, a.k.a. the stablecoin that Facebook or Meta, God, there's so many names, that they intended to issue. Uh, This has been going on since 2017 when Facebook initially announced that they were working on a stablecoin that at the time was called Libra. Well, it looks like Meta is now looking to sell off all the assets related to the Diem Association or the Deem stablecoin in order to return capital to the other backers. And I think that's an important caveat to add. This was not just a Facebook venture. They were a big partner in the Deem Association, along with others like MasterCard, PayPal, eBay, Stripe, and Visa, that uh, were going to try to introduce this uh, Facebook-centered stablecoin. The reason that it's seems that they're going to shut it down and sell it for parts is because uh, they were going to use this uh, bank, Silvergate Bank, to help them issue the coin. But the Fed uh, ultimately told Silvergate that they couldn't assure them that it would be allowed, that they wouldn't end up shutting it down. And I guess I don't blame them because one of the things we've been hearing over the last few months as the Fed has and really the president's office and the central government has really been talking about stable coins so much 
And it seems like they really want to regulate stable coins like banks. And I don't really blame Meta for not wanting to tread in those waters because being a bank can make you some money, um, but it's also very costly and burdensome to abide by the compliance. So it looks like they decided that wasn't worth it. And also, this the writing may have been on the wall. PayPal, eBay, MasterCard, Stripe, and Visa, who were partners, all left years ago. So this, frankly, for me personally, I'm interested to hear what you think, but I'm not too sad to hear this because, A, I think we have plenty of stablecoin offerings already with some diversity amongst how they're trying to approach uh, building their stablecoins. And also... I'm not looking for Facebook to become even more powerful than it already is. And um, I'm sure they could have offered a good stable coin, but um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it would have brought even up, brought up even more um, uh, concentration issues of power. But yeah, what did you think? Yeah, totally. So I remember back when this was all going on and PayPal pulled out of this project back in 2019 I'm just reading, I did some Googling here because you kind of hit the nail on the head at the end there. I think this is a politically toxic project that after all of the Facebook drama, uh, Cambridge Analytica, all this different stuff, the politicians were never going to, this was never going to work. Now, it actually could have worked pretty interestingly. I, I agree. I don't trust Mark Zuckerberg with anything more than what he's got. And Having said that, though, the ability to have peer-to-peer crypto payments in Facebook Messenger and Instagram, all the different places, WhatsApp, it they, it makes like the perfect sense that they would be a, a company that would want to have its own stablecoin to facilitate the transferring of all that value without having to pay outside parties for the transaction fees. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually kind of excited. So you saw Andreessen Horowitz, you saw Union Square Ventures, a bunch of other VCs were backing the Libra Reserve, the the reserve of money that I think is going to was going to back the the stablecoin itself. Yeah. So I was kind of excited to see how that was going to all fold out, but agreed with all of the political concerns that the the, the headlines just doesn't read r- well. Facebook invents its own currency to control right. everything more, right? So it's it's I, I totally feel that. So yeah. I'm, I'm not shedding any tears over this, mm-hmm. but I would just note it's ironic because the Gemini Exchange, which is run by the Winklevoss twins, who we know have a bunch of beef with Mark Zuckerberg, they have their Gemini USD, GUSD stablecoin just fine. And they're running it just fine. So it's kind of funny. I mean, this was just a politically toxic project because it's Facebook. That's, in my view, all that this is. And I don't think it has anything to do with anything else. Because, I mean, look at, you said it, eBay, PayPal, or I don't remember the the list of companies, but MasterCard, these other really well-known blue chip companies, along with the blue chip venture capitalists, backing it i mean their credibility was there but because it's facebook this was never gonna this just doesn't seem like it ever was gonna happen 
Yeah, well, it's all the companies I listed except for eBay were all these payment companies, the biggest payment companies in the world, PayPal, Stripe, MasterCard, and Visa. So, of course, they'd want to be the payment processors for Facebook because if Facebook really is one of – I'm sure if you – I should have done this – pulled up the size of Facebook marketplace transactions, it probably compares to other countries like GDP. Like it's it, – whatever yeah. – they had their own currency. Yeah, it would have to be taken seriously as like a country level economy if it isn't already. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe they just figured, you know what, why do we why are we developing our own when there's all these that exist and maybe we'll just snatch one up later on once the regulatory environment becomes more clear. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but well, it's said. interesting as well because Uber, Lyft, Spotify, they were also in this association. So all these big centralized companies who have a very vested interest in getting around transaction fees, yeah, controlling it themselves. Uh, but this was just politically toxic. These other countries, I'm, if you read some of these articles, I just did some Googling to, to read these when they were coming out back in 2019. I mean, that was a while ago when these members were exiting, but so I'm not, I mean, this makes sense that they would try to sell this off. Um, I don't think they'd make any profit on the sale personally, but it's yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> well, right. Because I mean, the other thing is in the news, we, we know that meta is working on their new state of the art supercomputer to power their probably cutting edge AI. And look, they, they want to increase their ad revenue and they already understand everything about us. So understanding everything about our spending habits as well down to the dollars in our accounts not a fan so yeah like you said no tears shed but uh they'll 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 put they'll find a solution for this somehow whether they end up adopting the fed's central bank digital currency what that happens in 20 years or if they yeah adopt another we'll see no doubt good stuff man well we'll uh we'll talk tomorrow i'm not sure who's on tomorrow but good to always chat with you man yeah you too bud Take it easy. See ya.